0: Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, November 22nd, and we're talking Disney Plus. I'm your host Dylan Lewis, and I've got Fool.com's Dan Klein with me on Skype. Dan, what's going on, man?
1: Uh, hey there, Dylan. Exactly what we needed, another streaming
0: service. <laughs> yeah, I feel like the post-cable landscape is basically cable just with more steps.
1: And more money. (laughs) At least for me, it's eventually going to cost me more money. (laughs) Uh,
0: I was thrilled to have you on today, Dan, because you are kind of Mr. Streaming uh, for Fool.com purposes, and you are also Mr. Disney. Uh, You know a ton about the House of Mouse, so it only seemed natural to have you on for an episode where we're going to be talking about the streaming landscape, specifically the debut of Disney+.
1: Yeah, look... I joke about not needing another streaming service, but this is kind of, in my opinion, the last company that has enough intellectual property that I was pretty excited about this launch.
0: Yeah, this is kind of that no-brainer streaming business that a lot of people have wanted for quite some time. I imagine parents and fans of Star Wars in particular uh, have really wanted this streaming service to come out. Unfortunately, I am not in either of those buckets. I am the person that Disney hates because (laughs) I don't have kids and I am not super into Star Wars, Uh, but you are a subscriber of. Of the newly launched Disney Plus service, right, Dan?
1: Yeah, so it's a family service, and my son's 15, so he's kind of aged out of the you know the Cars and the Pixar and all the you know Disney animated movies. But when he was younger, we used to buy all the DVDs, so you'd spend 19, 29 dollars, whatever it was, so your kid could watch uh, you know Frozen over and over again, or uh, Cars was a very big movie in my house for a long time. So this replaces that. You know, you spend your monthly fee, and you get. Almost everything Disney has ever produced. There, there are a few holdouts um, for for rights reasons, and in my case, I don't care about any of that stuff. But what I am into is it has the new Star Wars show, The Mandalorian, which is a. It's only going to be I think ten episodes, maybe only eight episodes, but it is a show set in the Star Wars universe with cinematic production values, and they are going to slowly, and we'll talk a lot more about this later, roll out new shows both in the Disney universe, uh, Star Wars and, of course, in Marvel, which uh, I don't think you're a big Marvel fan either, but that's where they'll start getting more adults as well.
0: No, I just keep missing the boxes that Disney's trying to check, because I'm also not a superhero <laughs> movie fan. Uh, and I get a lot of get a lot of flack for that one. But no, I haven't quite gotten into the Marvel Universe in the way that a lot of other folks have. Um, for people that are looking for some details on the streaming service and have not caught any of them yet, uh, no R-rated movies, like you said, Dan, very family-oriented. Uh, the service is just under $7 a month or just under $70 for the year. So, if you take the year package, it's just under $6 per month. And there are some bundles available with ESPN Plus and an ad-supported Hulu for about $13 a month. So, you save a little bit of money there.
1: Yeah, and I feel like it's always important, whenever we mention ESPN+, Plus to point out that ESPN+, Plus is not ESPN. So, you'll be getting a lot of of added video, a lot of shows, a lot of highlights, but it's not a feed of ESPN. It's sort of ESPN shoulder programming.
0: So, if you're someone who has all these things, you save a little bit of money. Um, I think it's worth looking at how this stacks up to some of the other streaming services currently out there, because coming in at $7 is a pretty appealing price point.
1: Yeah, it it, it is. And for any parent, when you look at what you were spending on Disney content anyway, if you if you have a kid between the ages of, like, 2 and 12, there's an enormous amount of stuff. Uh, one of the launch shows was a High School Musical uh, series. So, if you're a parent with a tween, High School Musical was probably very important to them. So, you're really getting a very, very good value. And I think that bundle is a pretty good deal, because even though ESPN Plus is not all that useful, it does have a lot of big fights. So, if you're a boxing or an MMA fan, you might get one or two things a year that you would would have paid, you know, $60 on their own to sit around with your friends and watch, and Hulu has a lot of sort of next day live TV especially if you've cut the cord, it's kind of like the cheap way to have access to a lot of programming.
0: Yeah. In comparison, I think Netflix is about $13 a month for some of the more entry-level services. And then HBO Max is going to cost $15 a month, which is the same as HBO Go now. So, I remember when we first talked about this, and I think this was back in January, kind of giving a preview of Disney for the year we'd speculated this is going to come in at a lower price point. I think there are a lot of different reasons for that. You know, Some of it is how competitive and deep the content library is. I think some of it is also them wanting to very quickly get tons of subscribers, and coming in at a low price point allows them to do that.
1: Yeah, and no one's ever going to cancel. So one of the things that hasn't been talked about here is they're also giving it to you free if you're uh, certain levels of Verizon. Basically, you have to have the unlimited plan or a higher level of their internet service. And what happens with that is you get it for free for a year, and then it automatically rolls over and you start getting billed. And it's going to be very hard to cancel this if your kids are watching this programming or you've become invested in one of the Marvel shows or one of the Star Wars shows or or even some of the, the National Geographic content so it's a very smart strategy, and you know they, they hit 10 million people very quickly. A little bit of a soft number because there's a seven-day free trial, so we don't know who's actually going to become a paying customer. But the reality is, I think it's, You know, six months to a year, to maybe 50 to 100 million subscribers, because it's just that obvious a service.
0: For context, Netflix closed Q3 with just under 159 million subscribers. So, there's a ways to go for Disney to catch up. But I think you're right, Dan, I think this is going to be something that very quickly uh, establishes itself as a major player, kind of similar to the way that Apple Music really caught on, uh, even though it was well behind the release of Spotify.
1: Yeah, it's it just one of those things where it doesn't feel like a lot of money because you were already giving Disney money. If Disney had created The Mandalorian and told me it was $7.99 an episode and I had to buy it, I've bought every Star Wars book ever written. I'm going to buy the, the, the brand new live action show. So, this is one of those things that's just absolutely a no brainer. It, it's, you know as a parent you can sort of make the investment it it's part babysitter it's part entertainment there's an affection for these movies especially the pixar movies for you know my generation even your generation which you don't have kids yet but you know you might someday and you saw toy story in the theaters probably you probably saw the little mermaid on on video when you were a kid so There's really just a built-in audience for it.
0: 100%, Dan. While while I am not a huge fan of a lot of these movies, I am not a robot. I did grow up on some of the major Disney titles. And, yeah, certainly if I have kids, I would want to make sure that they were exposed to that stuff, too. One of the things that I thought was kind of interesting with the launch was, it was a lot of IP that people are already very familiar with and kind of grew up watching, but there wasn't a ton of new stuff that came with this debut.
1: No. And this is very intentional. So, I, I'm a big fan of Ringer.com. It's a pop culture sports website. And they sort of pick shows and do very obsessive coverage about it and leading up to the Mandalorian they they did a a series called the rewatchables where they looked at all the Star Wars movie all the Star Wars content and broke it down and they're covering every episode of the Mandalorian and so are some other television sites as if it's like a major event i'm talking you know five or six stories in a week podcasts and that's something where disney is being very smart because as one show ends, they'll bring in another. So, maybe you'll get the uh, the WandaVision show or the the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, both set in the Avengers universe. And they'll be covered obsessively by a number of sites. And it gives them an advantage that I think Netflix is squandering. Because, you know, the release of Stranger Things or, or any new Netflix series that's popular is a big deal for four or five days. And you lose that ability for each episode to be covered, to generate sort of recurring publicity, to build as a it goes. I've talked about The Mandalorian to enough people, and I know some of them have gone out and said, oh, I'll go get Disney Plus because of that. So, Disney has a very smart, public relations-friendly sort of content rollout plan.
0: Yeah. I I think before the show, we were going back and forth, and I sent you over a Google Trends look at search interest for Stranger Things as an example. And what you see is, there's a massive spike for about a two- or three-week period every time the new season comes out. And then it goes right back down to the level that it had before. And so, and and that's just a limitation of that release style. I mean, Netflix created binge culture, and I think for them it was something that was so innovative and so disruptive, but it comes with its drawbacks as well.
1: It does. And it's also so, you know, if I bump into you in the office, I can't say, hey, Dylan, what'd you think of this week's episode? There, there There's no time period for that when it's sort of all dropped at once. So you have this situation where the the discussion about stranger things is like six months later. And by then you don't remember the details. It's not as fresh. And I do think that makes people less interested in the next season. There's something nice about sort of a communal experience. And old television was like that. Linear television was, you know, the Who Shot JR episode of Dallas, which I am too young to have seen. I did not see that, uh, but that aired, and then everyone talked about it the next day. When the Super Bowl is on, or the Grammys, or the Oscars, you watch it somehow, and then the next day it's a joint conversation. That's what the Mandalorian has been like. There's an internet conversation. I know who amongst my friends are Star Wars fans, and they know, you know, to say, "Hey, look, I haven't caught Friday's episode. I sort of look at it as watch on Friday. You can talk about it by Monday." But some people might sort of let you know you have to wait another day or two. That happens, but I do think this this is going to help Disney build hits, which is something streaming networks have
0: struggled to do. Yeah, I'm actually kind of bouncing this now against the way that HBO has worked with Game of Thrones, and I think they found a good weekly release cadence that worked, and you had this sustained interest. You had these people that were rapidly talking about it the next morning, and the expectation was that you watched it in that moment. I think the struggle that HBO experiences is when you have a show, such a huge tentpole show like Game of Thrones, Well, what do you do once that season ends? You know, you have to keep people around. It seems like Disney is very deliberately rolling out this content calendar so that there's always that hit coming.
1: So, the biggest challenge HBO has had. Is they usually had two or three big hits. So, you know, True Blood and Six Feet Under and and The Sopranos and, and Sex in and the City. And those shows were all sort of in the same cycle. So, over the course of the year, they had two or three tent poles to really bring you in. At the moment, they don't have any of that. So, if you're not a big uh, Bill Maher or Last Week Tonight fan, you might be thinking about pausing your, which I am, and that's Last Week Tonight is why I keep HBO you might be thinking about pausing your HBO subscription. What Disney is trying to do is line up its intellectual property so there is always something for kids, always something for teenagers, always something for adults that's coming soon or in the midst of running and they own so much high quality IP that they should be able to do that. I mean I think it's three shows that are gonna be set in the Star Wars universe four or five just with the Avengers not counting the couple of other shows that that are set in Marvel. they own Indiana Jones, They own Pixar. There's so many things they could do, and they'll do them all and space them out. And they're using the advantage they have. The Mandalorian, which is shot like a movie, is not going to be a traditional 22 episode series. And the episode lengths have been strange 28 minutes, 32 minutes. They're just sort of making the television they want without having to follow any of the rules using a sort of keep them wanting more strategy.
0: I think if there's anything that the last couple of years in pop culture, maybe the last decade in pop culture, has proven is that people will consume spin-offs, they will consume origin stories. People that are really involved in a universe are into all of these kind of tangents that creators are willing to go down to continue to explore that universe.
1: Yeah, and when you look at Marvel and Star Wars specifically, there's so much empty space. I loved the Netflix uh, Marvel Universe Daredevil, Jessica Jones, uh, Luke Cage, not so much Iron Fist. Um, And that sort of built out a world where you could acknowledge that there were superheroes, but they were operating more on a citywide basis, not a global threat basis. So. In Star Wars, yes, there's this whole world with the Emperor and Darth Vader or wherever we are now with the First Order, but then there's also, like, the First Order is maybe a different factor in your neighborhood than compared to, like, you know, what Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia are fighting. So, you can tell much smaller, much more intimate stories or stories that can't be told in two hours, you know, in a movie.
0: Yeah. So, Dan, we've focused a little bit on The Mandalorian and and some of the content that is specifically coming out for this streaming service. I always think it's worth taking that step back when you talk Disney and just talking about the strength of the IP library and the way that it really works as a flywheel for this business. Because there are some staggering numbers that really paint a picture of how successful this streaming service could continue to be for them based on how strong the box office has been for them so far in 2019. So, a couple numbers here. To date, the studio has done more than $8 billion at the global box office, breaking its own record for the highest-grossing year for a studio ever, which was set in 2016. And it's had $5 billion films already in 2019, which is another record. And Frozen 2 is set to come out this week, uh, which is probably going to wind up adding a sixth to the list. So, even, even with content that is not specifically designed for Disney+, Plus, but is part of this larger IP library, they are coming up aces across the board.
1: And the ninth Star Wars movie opens uh, on, I believe, December 20th. So there's one more. I've written about this a lot. The film business is a casino for most companies. If you're making a movie, maybe you got The Rock, maybe it's an original, you know, you're stacking the deck as much as you can, but you still don't know if people are going to show up. When you put out an Avengers movie, even with a lesser Avenger like say Ant-Man, you know half a billion dollars is is the floor for where you're going to be. And aside from the misstep with Solo, you know that with a well-told Star Wars story, you're going to do a billion dollars. So there is a scenario, you know, where Disney has this sort of ever-feeding thing. Once you see the end of the last Avengers movie, which was a wonderful film, you want to know what happens next, and you might follow that into theme parks, into books, into commercial stuff. I I was been getting bombarded with uh, virtual reality. There's a Darth Vader story you can play on your Oculus. I just don't have the right Oculus to buy it. So, it really one thing feeds another. I mean, look, there's Disney SpaghettiOs and breakfast cereals and, you know, using all these characters.
0: Yeah, the, the strength of the flywheel is so incredible to me because you have the pipeline that IP goes through where the movie is made, they have the merchandise, they have the theme park revenue, and now they have the streaming revenue. It used to be the DVD sales. Before for that, but then that's only one generation of that piece of IP. In the case of Frozen, you had the original Frozen. I think came out six years ago, and we're seeing the second one now. And that's just an extension of that same series. It's going to go through the exact same pipeline, and it's going to print money for this business.
1: Yeah, and so and Disney has done a smart job of making its universes accessible. And I'll give you an example. So I went to the new Star Wars Galaxy Quest ads. Our Galaxy's Edge at. Uh, Disney's Hollywood Studios. And before going, I of course read the two tie-in novels that tell you all about Batuu, the fictional place you're visiting. So, for me, it was a deeper experience where I knew all the greetings, I knew the places, I sort of knew what they were talking about, what the food was supposed to be. But for my son, who could care less about any of that and just wanted to ride the Millennium Falcon and maybe see Chewbacca, he still had a very rich experience. So, when the movie comes out, I would assume Batu is a setting on the movie. Because There's some groundwork laid in some of the books and in the theme park that lets you believe that this is going to be sort of a rebel base. All of it ties in, and that's very exciting as a super fan. It's also very irrelevant to you. If you go to see the movie with me, having not even seen the last two movies, you'd probably still understand it. Because Disney understands, as deep and rich as Star Wars, Marvel, even the Pixar movies are, that you still want a new person to be able to come in. And for a company that sort of built its reputation on kids and sort of keeping them in the system, they've gotten very, very smart at doing that.
0: Yeah, I think it's probably one of the best-run operations in entertainment entertainment. entertainment, it's the reason why they are best in the business and why they're a brand that has endured as long as they have.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it all comes down to the characters. You know, you go to Mickey Mouse, kids want to see Mickey Mouse. You go to Star Wars, adults want to know what happens next. Are there, you know, think about it. We've seen such a small stimpet of the Star Wars universe. In theory, there's 20 years of Darth Vader stories they could be telling you. Or what about all the things Yoda did in his I don't know was Yoda a couple thousand years old? He's very old. <laughs> you know, so there's there's so much stuff that they could show you and a built-in audience. And they know like if they're putting something out on an Oculus headset, that's for a hardcore fan. If it's in a comic book, hardcore fan. If it's in a movie, my mom is going to understand it when she sees that movie.
0: This is all to say, Dan, that while the streaming service is a nice kicker for Disney, it is not going to be the thing that immediately makes them, you know, 20 billion dollars. The reality is with a company like this, All of these different efforts reinforce the strength of the IP library, which is really what's going to drive the business results for them.
1: Yeah. And this is a hedge against the death of cable. <laughs> this is Disney, which doesn't own its own distribution, creating its own distribution for its content. And it's not going to matter if cable gets smaller, if Disney has a relationship with, let's say, 100 million people, that it can say, hey, look, do you want these shows? We can keep these around. You want to pay a little more for this service? Well, all right, we'll give you Hulu, and Hulu is also going to have Deadpool. And, oh, by the way, it doesn't really fit with Disney, but you've got every episode of The Simpsons on Disney+. Plus. So." As cable sort of dies, I think you'll see more of ESPN, you'll see more of the Disney Channel content m- merging into the service, and there might be tiers, there might be different ways to monetize,
0: but it's always
1: going to feel like a pretty good
0: value. So I mentioned that we did a show back in January together, and we were talking about Disney, and just kind of an outlook for the year, because... When we had taped that show, I think over the past maybe three years, prior three and a half years, something like that, the stock really hadn't done all that much. It was kind of a lost couple of years for Disney and Disney shareholders. And our consensus at that point was, 2019 is going to be the year where they lay a lot of the groundwork for success in 2020, 2021. Etc. that there may be some excitement around the stock because of the stream, the streaming launch. But in the grand scheme of things, this is not going to be something that immediately makes a ton of money for them. Well, you look at how the stock's performed over, so far over 2019, Dan, uh, since that show shares are up 32% and the S&P is up 18%. Nice to see that people are excited about this company, because it truly is a best-in-class company. Um, it seems like the sleeping giant has been awoken a little bit.
1: Yeah, I think you're seeing the sort of reaping the rewards of these investments you remember even though they kind of only spent four billion for Marvel only spent four billion for Lucasfilm I think it was seven billion for Pixar those are still significant investments and that kind of weighs down a stock so yes they're investing in the streaming network they're investing you know it, it A billion dollars or something like that in the US theme parks over the next few years. But the numbers aren't quite as huge. So now they're in a position where the capital investment will come down and the balance sheet will look better. Plus, there's a lot of excitement around
0: the brand. Yeah, to put a couple numbers to that, um, over the last 12 months, ended at the end of September, they added 10 billion to the top line over the previous year. But when you go down to their gross profit, uh, it only manifested in an extra $800 million. Um, So, clearly, they are spending a lot to set themselves up for the future. I think that what winds up happening with Disney Plus is they have just another great tool in their toolkit to bring people in and further attach them to these characters they've spent so many decades building.
1: Yeah, and they own the content. Disney does not have to worry about going back to Pixar and licensing Toy Story and you know, in a few years. They own it forever. So, when there's 90 seasons of The Simpsons or whatever it is, that will all be there, and this just becomes a better and better value.
0: So, Dan, you are a Disney Plus subscriber. I've seen some kerfuffle online that, you know, there are people thinking, oh, is, is Disney Plus going to cause people to unsubscribe from some of the other streaming services? Was that even in your brain with this?
1: Well, because of what I do for a living, I, I feel like I have to have Netflix. Um, And I don't have Hulu at the moment, but I will probably upgrade to the bundle at some point. Um, I have a lot of streaming services, and I probably would pause Netflix at the moment because there's nothing I'm really – Watching there, but my wife watches a ton of things on Netflix, so she would be very angry. Plus, I get Netflix through T-Mobile, so I only pay. It's like whatever the price increase was. So it's like two bucks a month, and and T-Mobile pays the rest of it. So no, I have not really thought about making any changes.
0: That is one of the hidden trends of all this. All of this uh, kind of splintering we're seeing within streaming is you can get a lot of really good stuff for free via either your cable or or telecom provider. Uh, Austin Morgan, our man behind the glass, are you a Disney subscriber?
2: I got the seven-day free trial. Um, I think I might keep it on a monthly basis until... uh, Kara hasn't seen any of the Marvel movies, so I was like, okay, we can start these. We can watch 20 whatever movies, and then we'll pull the plug, but we're on a really bad pace. We started... We watched half of Iron Man, she fell asleep and she hasn't finished it. It's been 6 days, so we're we're running at the end of the free trial. Well, the thing is
0: though, we're heading into prime binge watching weather. You know, it's only going to get colder. It's not going to be particularly nice out. It looks pretty nasty this weekend. You might be able to knock out some movies.
2: That's true. That's what, I mean, and binge watching the the thing with like the shows that come out weekly. I don't watch them until they're all out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then you can just mow right through them, right? <laughs> I, just, I always forget that they come out that week Like, I'll watch the first episode, like, oh, that was great, and then forget for four weeks and then watch the next three.
0: So if, if I didn't already know that Disney Plus was coming out, um, I would have been able to pick it up because around my house and my girlfriend's house, uh, there has been – a huge uptick in the number of Disney musicals being played, and the amount of Disney musical sing-alongs that have been happening in the shower as I've been walking by getting ready in the morning. So uh, I am not a subscriber, but I think Jess will be very soon, and uh, I will have access that way.
2: I'm curious how long the like subscribers last that are not they don't have families because you can only. Be nostalgic about Disney movies for so long. And then it's just like, okay. No, I think you're going to have to be
1: someone who's interested in the new Marvel content, the new Star Wars content.
2: You're not going to keep it for the archive.
0: Yeah. Uh, And the consideration is totally different for parents. You know, I I was chatting with some fools. We had our Fool's Giving lunch this week, and Disney Plus came up. And uh, one of my coworkers said that they watched the same animated Disney movie three times one Saturday because the kid wanted to watch it. And that's one of those things you lose sight of as an adult. You know, kids are down to just hit repeat and do it again, especially the young kids. Uh, and that makes it very hard to cancel because you don't want to deal with a crying three-year-old.
1: Oh, if you if you have a three to twelve-year-old, you have this, and you're going to be. You'd pay twice as much, would be my guess.
0: <laughs> so, if it's not already something that a lot of parents listening have uh, picked up, maybe it winds up in the holiday basket uh, for people that are celebrating some of the winter holidays. Dan, thanks for hopping on today's show and talking Disney Plus with me. Thanks for having me. And thanks for chiming in, Austin. I always love getting you on the mic. Listeners, that's going to do it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or you want to reach out and say, hey, shoot us an email over at industryfocus at com, or you can tweet us at MF Industry focus. If you want more stuff, subscribe on iTunes, or you can catch some cool videos over on our YouTube channel. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Oh, and then I'm supposed to say, (laughs) thanks to Austin Morgan for all his work behind the glass today. For Dan Klein, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening and Fool on!
1: By the way, just a meeting with a, a podcast fan. Oh, fun. Nice. Who asked for a handful of us. Me, because he runs a toy store and has heard me mention running a toy store. Oh. He he actually said to pass on a hello from a stranger who likes your work.
0: So, oh, cool. Well, thanks. Yeah, thanks. It's, it's, <laughs> are you talking to, <laughs> oh, you talking to me or oh, okay. Austin? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you,
1: Dylan. Uh, yeah, because I mentioned I was taping with you today about uh, Disney Plus because he's going to Disney and we were chatting Disney. So oh, that's too funny.
0: Yeah. You know, I think everyone's a fan of Austin's work. They just don't realize it.